Chapter 22 of Hereditary Genius by Francis Galton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 22 General Considerations. It is confidently asserted by all modern physiologists that the life of every plant and animal is built up of an enormous number of subordinate lives that each organism consists of a multitude of elemental parts which are to a great extent independent of each other that each organ has its proper life or autonomy and can develop and reproduce itself independently of other tissues see darwin on domestication of plants and animals volume two page three hundred and sixty eight three hundred and sixty nine thus the word man when rightly understood becomes a noun of multitude because he is composed of millions perhaps billions of cells each of which possesses in some sort an independent life and is parent of other cells he is a conscious whole formed by the joint agencies of a host of what appear to us to be unconscious or barely conscious elements mr darwin in his remarkable theory of pangenesis takes two great strides from this starting point he supposes first that each cell having of course its individual peculiarities breeds nearly true to its kind by propagating innumerable germs or to use his expression gemules which circulate in the blood and multiply there remaining in that inchoate form until they are able to fix themselves upon other more or less perfect tissue and that they become developed into regular cells secondly the germs are supposed to be solely governed by their respective natural affinities in selecting their points of attachment and that consequently the marvellous structure of the living form is built up under the influence of innumerable blind affinities and not under that of a central controlling power this theory propounded by mr darwin as provisional and avowedly based in some degree on pure hypothesis and very largely on analogy is whether it be true or not of enormous service to those who inquire into hereditary it gives a key that unlocks every one of the hitherto unopened barriers to our comprehension of its nature it binds within the compass of a singularly simple law the multifarious forms of reproduction witnessed in the wide range of organic life and it brings all these forms of reproduction under the same conditions as govern the ordinary growth of each individual it is therefore very advisable that we should look at the facts of hereditary genius from the point of view which the theory of pangenesis affords and to this i will endeavour to guide the reader every type of character in a living being may be compared to the typical appearance always found in different descriptions of assemblages it is true that the life of an animal is conscious and that the elements on which it is based are apparently unconscious while exactly the reverse is the case in the corporate life of a body of men nevertheless the employment of this analogy will help us considerably in obtaining a clear understanding of the laws which govern hereditary and they will not mislead us when used in the manner i propose the assemblages of which i speak are such as are uncontrolled by any central authority but have assumed their typical appearance through the free action of the individuals who compose them each man being bended on his immediate interests and finding his place under the sole influence of an effective affinity to his neighbours a small rising watering place affords as good an illustration as any of which i can think it is often hardly possible to trace its first beginnings two or three houses were perhaps built for private use and becoming accidentally vacant were seen and rented by holiday folk who praised the locality and raised demand for further accommodation other houses were built to meet the requirement this led to an inn to the daily visit of the baker's and butcher's cart the postman and so forth 
Then as the village increased and shops began to be established, young artisans and other floating gemmules of English population in search of a place where they might advantageously attach themselves became fixed. And so each new opportunity was seized upon, and each opening filled up as soon or very soon after it existed. The general result of these purely selfish affinities is that watering places are curiously similar even before the speculative builder has stepped in. We may predict what kind of shops will be found and how they will be placed. Nay, even what kinds of books and placards will be put up in the windows, and so, notwithstanding abundant individual peculiarities, we find them to have a strong generic identity. The type of these watering places is certainly a durable one. The human materials of which they are made remain similar, and so are the conditions under which they exist, of having to supply the wants of the average British holiday seeker. Therefore, the watering place would always breed true to its kind. It would do so by detaching an offshoot of the Fissaparius principle, or like a polyp, from which you may snip off a bit, which thenceforward lives an independent life and grows into a complete animal. Or to compare it with a higher order of life, two watering places, at some distance apart, might between them afford material to raise another in an intermediate locality. Precisely the same remarks might be made about fishing villages, or manufacturing towns, or new settlements in the bush, or an encampment of gold diggers, each of these would breed true to its kind. If we go to more stationary forms of society than our own, we shall find numerous examples of the purest breed. Thus, the Hottentot Kraal, or village of today diners, in no way from those described in the earliest travellers, or to take an immensely longer leap, the information gathered from the most ancient paintings in Egypt accords with our observations of the modern life of the descendants of those peoples whom the paintings represent. Next, let us consider the nature of hybrids. Suppose a town to be formed under the influence of two others that differ, the one a watering place and the other a fishing town. What will be the result? We find that particular combination to be usually favourable because the different elements do not interfere with, but rather support one another. The fishing interest gives greater solidarity to the place than the more ephemeral presence of the tourist population can furnish. The picturesque seaside life is also an attraction to visitors, and the fishermen cater for their food. On the other hand, the watering place gives more varied conditions of existence to the fishermen. The visitors are very properly mulked, directly or indirectly, for charities, roads, and the like, and they are not unwelcome customers in various ways to their fellow townsmen. Let us take another instance of an hybrid, one that leads to a different result. Suppose an enterprising manufacturer from a town of no great distance from an incipient watering hole discovers advantages in its minerals, water power, or means of access, and prepares to set up his mill in the place. We may predict what will follow with much certainty. Either the place will be forsaken as a watering place, or the manufacturer will be in some way or other got rid of. The two elements are discordant. The dirt and noise and rough artisans engaged in the manufactory are uncongenial to the population of a watering place. The moral I have in view will be clear to the reader. I wish to show that because a well-conditioned man marries a well-conditioned woman, each of pure blood as regards to any natural gift, it does not in the least follow that the hybrid offspring will succeed. I will continue to employ the same metaphor to explain the manner in which apparent sports of nature are produced, such as the sudden appearance of a man of great abilities in undistinguished families. Mr. Darwin maintains, in the theory of pangenesis, that the gemmules of innumerable qualities derived from ancestral sources circulate in the blood and propagate themselves generation after generation, still in the state of gemmules, but fail in developing themselves into cells, because other 
antagonistic temuals are prepotent and overmaster them in the struggle for points of attachment hence there is a vastly larger number of capabilities in every living being than ever find expression and for every patient element there are countless latent ones the character of a man is wholly formed through these gemules that have succeeded in attaching themselves the remainder have been overpowered by their antagonists count for nothing just as the policy of a democracy is formed by that of the majority of its citizens or as the parliamentary voice of any place is determined by the dominant political views of the electors in both instances the disintent minority is powerless let however by the virtue of the more rapid propagation of one class of electors say of an irish population the numerical strength of the weaker party is supposed to gradually increase until the minority becomes the majority then there will be a sudden reversal or revolution of the political equilibrium and the character of the borough or nation as evidenced by its corporate acts will be entirely changed this corresponds to a so-called sport of nature again to make the simile still more closely appropriate to our wants suppose that by some alteration in the system of representation two boroughs each containing an irish element and a large minority the one having always returned a weak and the other a conservative to be combined into a single borough returning one member it is clear that the whig and the conservative party will neutralize one another and that the union of the two irish minorities will form a strong majority and that a member professing irish interests is sure to be returned this strictly corresponds to the case where the son has marked peculiarities which neither of his parents possessed in a patent form the dominant influence of pure blood over multiple alliances is also easily to be understood by the simile of the two boroughs for if every perfect and incolate voter in one of them that is to say every male man and child be a radical to his backbone the incoming of such a compact mass would overpower the dividing politics of the inhabitants of the other with which it was combined these similes which are perfectly legitimate according to the theory of pangenesis are well worthy of being indulged in for they give considerable precision to our views on hereditary and compel facts that appear anomalous at first sight to fall into intelligible order i will now explain what i presume ought to be understood when we speak of the stability of types and what is the nature of the changes through which one type yields to another stability is a word taken from the language of mechanics it is felt to be an apt word let us see what the conception of types would be when applied to mechanical conditions it is shown by mr darwin in his great theory of the origin of species that all forms of organic life are in some sense convertible into one another for all have according to his views sprung from common ancestry and therefore a and b having both descended from c the lines of descent might be remounted from a to c and redescended from c to b yet the changes are not by insensible gradations there are many but not an infinite number of intermediate links how is a law of continuity to be satisfied by a series of changes and jerks the mechanical conception would be that of a rough stone having in consequence of its roughness a vast number of natural facets on any of which it might rest in stable equilibrium that is to say when pushed it would somewhat yield when pushed much harder it would again yield but in a less degree in either case on the pressure being withdrawn it would fall back into its first position but if by a powerful effort the stone is compelled to overpass the limits of the face set on which it has hitherto found rest it will tumble over into a new position of stability when just the same proceedings must be gone through as before before it can be dislodged and rolled another step onwards the various positions of stable equilibrium may be looked upon as so many typical attitudes of the stone the type being more durable 
as the limits of its stability are wider we also see clearly that there is no violation of the law of continuity in the movements of the stone though it can only repose in certain widely separated positions now for another metaphor taken from a more complex system of forces we've all known what it is to be jammed in the midst of a great crowd struggling and pushing and swerving to and fro in its endeavour to make a way through some narrow passage there is a deadlock each member of the crowd is pushing the mass is agitated but there is no progress if by great effort a man drives those in front of him but a few inches forwards a recoil is pretty sure to follow and there is no ultimate advance at length by some accidental union of effort the deadlock yields a forward movement is made and the elements of the crowd fall into slightly varied combinations but in a few seconds there is another deadlock which is relieved after a while through just the same process as before each of these formations of the crowd in which they have found themselves in a deadlock is a position of stable equilibrium and represents a typical attitude it is easy to form a general idea of the conditions of stable equilibrium in the organic world where one element is so correlated with another that there must be enormous number of unstable combinations for each that is capable of maintaining itself unchanged generation after generation i will now make a few remarks on the subject of individual variation the gemules whence every cell of every organism is developed are supposed in the theory of pangenesis to be derived from two causes the one unchanged inheritance the other changed inheritance mr darwin in his latter work variation of animals and plants under domestication shows fairly clearly that individual variation is a somewhat more important feature than we might have expected it becomes an interesting inquiry to determine how much of a person's constitution is due on an average to the unchanged gifts of a remote ancestry and how much in the accumulation of individual variations the doctrine of pangenesis gives excellent materials for mathematical formulae the constants of which might be supplied through averages of facts like those contained in my tables if they were prepared for the purpose my own data are too lax to go upon the averages ought to refer to some simple physical characteristic unmistakable in its quality and not subject to the doubts which attend the appraisement of ability let us remark that there need be no hesitation in accepting averages for this purpose for the meaning and value of an average are perfectly clear it would represent the results supposing the competing gemules to be equally fertile and also supposing the proportion of the gemules affected by individual variation to be constant in all the cases the immediate consequence of the theory of pangenesis is somewhat startling it appears to show that a man is wholly built up of his own and ancestral peculiarities and only in an infinitesimal degree of characteristics handed down in an unchanged form from extremely ancient times it would follow that under a prolonged term of constant conditions it would matter little or nothing what were the characteristics of the early progenitors of a race the type being supposed constant for the progeny would invariably be moulded by those of its more recent ancestry the reason for what i have just stated is easily to be comprehended if easy though improbable figures be employed in illustration suppose for the sake merely of a very simple numerical example that a child acquired one-tenth of his nature from individual variation and inherited the remaining nine-tenths from his parents it follows that his two parents would have handed down only nine-tenths of nine-tenths or zero point eight one from his grandparents zero point seven two nine from his great-grandparents and so on the numerator of the fraction increasing in each successive step less rapidly than the denominator until we arrive at a vanishing value of the fraction the part inherited by this child in an unchanged form from all his ancestors above the fiftieth degree 
would be only one five thousandth of his whole nature. I do not see why any serious difficulty should stand in the way of mathematicians in framing a compact formula based on their theory of pangenesis to express the composition of organic beings in terms of their inherited and individual peculiarities, and to give us, after certain constraints have been determined, the means of foretelling the average distribution of characteristics among a large multitude of offspring whose parentage was known. The problem would have to be attacked on the following principle. The average proportion of gemules modified by individual variation under various conditions preceding birth clearly admits of being determined by observation, and the deviations from that average may be determined by the same theory in the law of chances to which I have so often referred. Again, the proportion of other gemules which are transmitted in an unmodified form will be similarly treated, for the children would, on the average, inherit the gemules in the same proportion as they existed in their parents but in each child there would be a deviation from that average. The table in page 34 is identical with the special case in which only two forms of gemules had to be considered, and in which they existed in equal numbers in both parents. If the theory of pangenesis be true, not only might the average qualities of the descendants of groups A and B, A and C, A and D, and every other combination be predicted, but also the numbers of them who deviate in various proportions from their averages, Thus, the issue of F and A ought to result in so and so for an average and in such and such numbers per million of A, B, C, D, E, F, G, etc. classes. The latent gemules equally admit of being determined from the patient characteristics of many previous generations, and the tendency to revision into any ancient form ought also to be admit of being calculated. In short, the theory of pangenesis brings all the influences that bear on hereditary into a form that is appropriate for the grasp of mathematical analysis. I will conclude by saying a few words upon what is to be understood by the phrase individuality. The artificial breeding of fish has been the subject of so many books, shows and lectures that everyone has become more or less familiar with its processes. The milt taken from the male is allowed to fall upon the ova that have been deposited by the female, which thereupon rapidly change their appearance, and gradually, without any other agency, an embryo fish may be observed to develop itself inside each of them. The ova may have been separated for many days from the female, the milt for many hours from the male. They are therefore entirely detached portions of organised matter, leading their own separate organic existences, and at the instant, or very shortly after they touch, the foundations are laid of an individual life. But where was that life during the long interval of separation of the milt and roe from the parent fish? If these substances were possessed of conscious lives in the interim, then two lives will have been merged into one individuality by the process, which is a direct contradiction in terms. If neither had conscious lives, then consciousness was produced by an operation as much under human control as anything can be. It may not be said that the ovum was always alive, and the milt had merely an accessory influence, because a young fish inherits its character from its parents equally, and there is an abundance of other physiological data to disprove the idea. Therefore, so far as fish are concerned, the creation of new life is as unrestrictedly within the compass of human power as the creation of any material product, whatever, from a combination of given elements. Again, suppose a breeder of fish to have two kinds of milt, belonging to salmon of different character, each in a separate cup, A and B, and two sorts of ova, each also in a separate cup, C and D. Then he can make this option the fish AC and BD, or else the fish AD and BC, 
therefore not only the creation of the lives of fish in a general sense but also the specific character of individual lives within wide limits is unrestrictedly under human control the power of the director of an establishment for breeding fish is of exactly the same quality as that of a cook in her kitchen both director and cook require certain elements to work upon but having got them they can create a fish or a dinner as the case may be according to a predetermined pattern now all generation is physiologically the same and therefore the reflections raised by what has been stated of fish are equally applicable to the life of man the entire human race or any one of its varieties may indefinitely increase its number by a system of early marriages or it may wholly annihilate itself by the observance of celibacy it may also introduce new human forms by means of the intermarriage of varieties and of a change in the conditions of life it follows that the human race has a large control over its future forms of activity far more than any individual has over his own since the freedom of individuals is narrowly restricted by the cost in energy of exercising their wills their state may be compared to that of cattle in an open pasture each tethered closely to a peg by an elastic cord these can graze in any direction for short distances with little effort because the cord stretches easily at first but the further they range the more powerfully does its elastic force pull backwards against them the extreme limit of their several ranges must lie at that distance from the peg where the maximum supply of nervous force from the chemical machinery of their bodies can evolve is only just equivalent to the outflow required to resist the strain of the cord now the freedom of humankind considered as a whole is far greater than this for it can gradually modify its own nature or to keep to the previous metaphor it can cause the pegs themselves to be continually shifted it can advance them from point to point towards new and better pastures over wide areas whose bounds are as yet unknown nature teems with latent life which man has large powers of evoking out of the forms and to the extent which he desires we must not permit ourselves to consider each human or other personality as something supernaturally added to the stock of nature but rather as a segregation of what already existed under a new shape and as a regular consequence of previous conditions neither must we be misled by the word individuality because it appears from the many facts and arguments in this book that our personalities are not so independent as our self-consciousness leads us to believe we may look upon each individual as something not wholly detached from its parent source as a wave that has been lifted and shaped by normal conditions in an unknown illimitable ocean there is decidedly a solidarity as well as a separateness in all human and probably in all lives whatsoever and this consideration goes far as i think to establish an opinion that the constitution of the living universe is a pure theism and that its form of activity is what may be described as cooperative it points to the conclusion that all life is single in its essence but various ever varying and interactive in its manifestations and that men and all other living animals are active workers and sharers in a vastly more extended system of cosmic action than any of ourselves much less of them can possibly comprehend it also suggests that they may contribute more or less unconsciously to the manifestation of a far higher life than our own somewhat as i do not propose to push the metaphor too far the individual selves of one of the more complex animals contribute to the manifestation of its higher order of personality end of chapter twenty two